0: Stay hungry. Stay foolish.
1: It's great to welcome back Jeff Bullas. Jeff is listed on Forbes as one of the top 20 influencers of CMOs in 2017 ranked by Apollo Research the top 20 influence of digital marketers in the USA in 2016, number one global digital marketer influence in 2016, and the list goes on and on and on. We are talking to one of the top social media digital influencers in the world. Welcome to the show again, Jeff.
2: Thanks, Aidan. It's great to be here from, uh, from Sydney. So uh, thanks for having me on.
1: And I saw, man, on the camera beforehand, your sunny weather while I sit in this drenched wet windy <laughs> ireland great to have you back on the show man you are one of the top influencers in the world and it got me thinking somebody was saying to me i don't know how to tap into the world of influencers and i just thought no better man to ask than than jeff bullies himself so firstly it'd be great to understand how you would define influencer marketing
2: influencer marketing is accessing the tribes that sit behind the different niches and, you know, the Instagramers, the YouTubers, the bloggers that have built loyal advocates and followers and readers of their and viewers of their blogs and video channels because they're authentic. What advertisers want to do is because we're seeing the reduction of you know, an impact and click-throughs on banners, banner blindness. We're seeing, yeah, you know, with so much more content, so much more noise online that reaching a trusted tribe that sits behind, you know, influences um, community is pretty important to a lot of advertisers and brands that, uh, you know, in other words, they, they want to reach people in an authentic, credible way. And that's that's where the tension quite often lies. So influencer marketing is reaching the tribes of influencers, people that actually have built credibility and authenticity in their niche and their industry. Um, and quite often is doing that through great
1: content. You're pumping out that content the whole time. And I think this is a lot what brands miss is that the influencer cannot be undermined or, or, or endangered their own tribe, the authenticity of their content by sticking in brand messages. And it has to be, has to be managed so, so carefully because with this YouTuber generation and indeed your work and people who have authentic blogs, Sending them a hamper full of products is not going to get that message
2: authentically in front of the tribe. No, exactly. And the best way to do it is actually quite often is um, collaborate or co-create content together that addresses the biggest pain points for uh, you know, the people they're trying to reach, um, to talk to their aspirations, to talk to their challenges. Um, and the messaging doesn't need to be like an advertisement. See, that's the thing is that big brands are so used to mass media advertising that they really, a lot of them just don't know how to actually reach an audience. They say, oh, well, we got this much reach, we got this much engagement, and, you know, I think some of those metrics need to be rethought um, regarding the impact of their advertising or their, their marketing. So, it's really important to understand that that the new age of the social web, authenticity that is a bit raw and rough around the edges is a great way to actually communicate.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the piece they really struggle with because it's been so much scattergun and push messaging. There has been very little pull. And while that's been going on in the onset of web, like you started your blog back in 08, 09, back in those days, the, the marketer of the world didn't really see digital as a strong point. It was only the odd Maverick who went in and looked at the email, looked at blogging, etc. Very, very rare. But in the meantime, you and influencers like you and bloggers and, and authentic content creators went and created a world in parallel. And now that world is is king because the world of push on the on the web is breaking the web in a way with ad blocking. People don't want that anymore. They can smell an advertorial a mile away and still we see this where people are, are are trying to push the message into your world which just doesn't work i hope by the way you got my home-cooked brownies before this interview man did you get them <laughs> i sent them about a week ago and they should be with you by now
2: uh i, I think they're still uh <laughs> on that slow-moving cruise liner the tanker tank. <laughs> that you, yeah so you, you must have not paid quite enough money to just put him on a plane, but at any rate, We're I haven't the got them yet. But I, I'm, I'm salivating right here and right now because I actually haven't had breakfast yet. So, I'm oh, uh,
1: sorry about yeah. that. Sorry so, about
2: I'm now you shouldn't have mentioned that because now I'm actually just sitting here salivating about your, the brownies. I just hope they're not spiked. That's sort of <laughs> all they are,
1: man. Just, there's, a, there's a special <laughs> Irish mushroom that I put in there. I went off topic there, but um what What does a marketer do? you You mentioned the co-creation of content. you mentioned stuff like you've mentioned in your blogs before, about sharing influencers' content. But that often comes across as very false. And how do you approach that when you're approached by a brand?
2: What we talk about is how to create content that addresses the biggest problem or problems in their industry. You know the the clients that they are targeting, what is their biggest challenges? And then we create content, and we discuss that and we toss it backwards and forwards. And quite often we might co create or uh, we'll write or they'll write a blog post which will educate in that space or educate and inspire. And hopefully, if it's good writing, it even entertains. So that's part of the equation is, is actually creating content that educates, inspires, entertains, and informs. Um, then there's another piece to the puzzle when we work with brands is actually so they want to convert that attention that traffic that we generate through content and pushing the content out to different channels, whether it's social or whether it's email, is that we want to get we want to convert that attention and that traffic um, into something more meaningful that returns ROI. So that might be um, you know a generate a lead. so one of the ways we've done before is offer a free ebook or a download that has to have an email in that is given in exchange for the the value. So there's this value exchange between uh, the person and the brand. So that way, then, we're adding a lot of value, and marketing is basically 75% education and, and 25% sales, so you don't sell until you've educated and created credibility and provided social proof, and you know why should anyone be um, reading your stuff or um, viewing it? So, at the end of the day, content needs to convert as well, and I think a lot of social media marketers and a lot of mass media marketers are all very much playing in the brand awareness space. And they use fluffy metrics that are great for brand awareness. And yes, you've got to create brand awareness. And so I'm not saying don't do it, but they quite often forget that last piece of the puzzle is converting that into leads that then can turn into sales.
1: Yeah, and and that's something you do brilliantly on your own site,
2: jeffbullers.com.
1: One of the excuses I just can't abide is I don't have the time to do this. And I read a great post you wrote before Christmas and it was the one habit that changed my life. And I'd love to touch on that for a second. But before we do, this idea of I don't have time from a marketer who holds a huge budget is just utter nonsense. And I'd love to talk about that one habit, Jeff, because that nails it for me in in the commitment that you have to have to your marketing.
2: There's a few pieces to that puzzle. Um, One is bigger brands are are doing this. You know, they have marketing automation platforms they use, like the big end of town enterprise uh, marketing automation platforms that help them scale their effort and resources and time. But the reality is that, you know, small to medium businesses now have access to a whole range of different platforms like Infusionsoft, Marketo, HubSpot, um, and the list goes on and on. So marketing automation is very much part of that, and I think small to medium businesses needs to understand to really scale their marketing in a very, very splintered media world you know, on social and mobile, um, is they, they have to use tools to help them scale. Um, and then the other piece of the puzzle is priority and um, working out where you want to place your focus and your time. And that that blog post I wrote, the one habit that transformed my life, touched on that. Other piece of the puzzle is not just using automation but basically making sure you've got priorities uh, for your time in terms of the most productive thing you can do. And um, I read a great book by uh, a guy called Cal Newport called Deep Work. And um, it reminded me of a habit that I had done since I started the blog. And it's about doing deep work and it's also about time blocking to just do that time, commit to the time to do that Um, because quite often we get lost in busyness which is shallow work. We all have to do it, you know, respond to emails, attend meetings. But if you don't do the deep work, you just get stuck in busyness, then you're not really creating anything of consequence, not really building a legacy, but you're not really creating content that makes a difference. And uh, this one habit that transformed my life, which Cal Newport calls deep work, is where you actually time block and give yourself time to actually sit down and create content that makes a difference. And that means sitting down, for me it's every day from 5 a.m. through to 8, 9 a.m. to actually write and create, and then I publish. So the reality is that the habits that we adopt in life can make a huge difference into what will be our life legacy.
1: Yeah, and that, that's the key piece for me, because people are saying I don't have the time for, but your time, your creative time, can be very different times. And that 5am resonated with me because I'm actually the opposite time. So it's now in Ireland, half 10pm. And th- this is the kind of time my mind comes alive. And, and sometimes I'll be writing till three or four in the morning, or even yep. later, sometimes because I, I put a blog post there every Thursday. And that was on purpose to create a habit for myself, you're doing it daily. But you're doing it with that sacrifice and that commitment. That's like everything. It's like sport is like professional sport, whatever. You need to actually put your body on the line and you need to deliver the goods. And that means sacrifice in some way. And that's the piece I don't get really with marketing because it's almost like they've outsourced so much of it in the past that this is the piece they can't outsource, the passion and the authenticity.
2: Yes, passionate purpose is the engine as a fuel. And that's so important, whether you want to be an elite athlete or you want to be a writer or whether you want to um, build a successful business. And so having this passionate purpose is the, is the foundation piece, but it's not passionate in terms of the fleeting feeling. It's a passionate purpose that is this intersection of your innate ability, your experience and expertise that is revealed in your story, and just about every business that you know and hear about succeeding, whether it's Steve Jobs with Apple, um, whether it's Microsoft, there is a story behind every one of those, even is another one. So the reality is that your story becomes your business, and that this passionate purpose that sits underneath that is a very important driver if you really want to get ahead yeah, because that that
1: piece is well about like why do you get up every day and and, you know we were talking about this before is is the north star like what what is that reason you're in business in the first place but also what is the reason your your team or your employees or your your teammates come to work every day like that is absolutely so important and that you have to be into that because without that you will never get to that 100 percent
2: that's right well, you're never 100%. It's, uh, it's never a destination. It's, it's just the fun part is actually the whole journey, as we know. It's like, okay, I want to go to Paris and Europe and, okay, let's go. Well, it's actually the fun part is the whole experience, the whole journey. So the reality is with marketing and with building a business is that the journey should be fun. And I think what's really important, if I'd have a day where all I'm doing is just busy, Um, respond to emails. If I get into the day and that's all I've done, I feel like it's almost been a waste of time. I've got stuff done, sure. Yes, we might have made some money. But the reality is that if I haven't sat down and actually created something of consequence that day, and and for everyone it's different, and also the time they do it is different. You mentioned that you love doing it um, late at night, and that's how I started. I actually started late at night. Um, Jung, for example, had a different approach to doing this. Um, He had his psychology practice and he wrote his book, um, much more a monastic approach, where he went away to his weekend retreat and time-blocked three or four days regularly to actually write and create his work of consequence. So we're all going to find a way or a rhythm that actually and a habit that works for us to do this. Yeah, and it's it's
1: so true about the habits. And I've a, a, a fantastic um, author on the show next week, Martin Grumberg and he has this book called The Habit Factor. And he said he said basically we we are a collection of our habits. That's who we actually are and that's what how people see us, Absolutely. our habits. You know, and that 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 I read that book at the same time I read your blog and and I have to read that book about deep work because often at work as well, you know people have people put FaceTime in where they're there from nine to five thirty. But you go, well how much of that are is actually deep work in some companies, how much of that is politics, how much of that is sitting around a desk for the sake of it as in a meeting for the sake of a meeting rather than actually shipping work and I, I'm like you actually I I find if I don't ship something if I don't do something of consequence I actually feel almost disappointed with my day it's like if you're training and you have a bad lifting day and you just kind of go that was that just felt like it was a waste of a day
2: <laughs> that's right yeah and that's and you got to listen to that still small voice that says uh, what did you ship what did you really do and you've got to sit back and go, I've got to allow time for that. I've got to make time for that. Yeah. And and we all have lives. We all have, you know, relationships. We have family. Uh, we have commitments. And, yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah. But if you just turn up without any purpose, turn up without any habit or a series of habits, then you can just drift along. And, you know, some people get to the end of their lives and going, um, what did I really do? And so it's a life of meaning and purpose is something that's created with rituals, with habits that make a difference.
1: When you kind of zoom up in a helicopter and you look at your, your, your evolution yourself, because you were a teacher and then you discovered uh, blogging and digital media early and you saw the power of that and created a tribe early, but your content is, is a continuation of your educational spirit of yourself because i think this is the piece a lot of people ask me about blogging and the piece that i feel people miss is that your data you take into your own mind is absolutely key because it's your interpretation of that and if you're watching kim kardashian the whole time then that that will you'll have garbage out the other end that's you don't create anything from putting that into your mind that's that's escapism you need to be feeding your mind with good content that it stimulates your mind, that, or maybe it's art, maybe it's poetry, yeah. whatever it is, it needs to be good content. because garbage in, yeah. garbage out, good content in, good, great content out.
2: Absolutely. And this is part of, you know, creating habits that um, allow you to do that. And I remember watching a TED talk, um, and it was an author, um, and he actually went and interviewed people in the poor houses of New York. And he actually sat down and interviewed them because he wanted to capture the stories of ordinary people. And these people, you know, had were poorest of the poor. They just were living in these flop houses, they call them, in New York. And what he did was he captured their story. And he went around and wrote a book. He had his photographer friend with him. He took photos. And when the book was ready, he... He went back to these poorhouses and, and showed some of the men their stories, their one-page stories that he'd created, you know, in the interviews. And as he's sitting down with one of these men, one of these men grabbed the book because he'd seen his name in black and white. He saw his story written down, captured by David Issey, this journalist. And he, and he grabbed the book out of David's hand and ran down the corridor and said, I exist I exist. Yeah. I exist. The reality is that you all want to be validated as human beings. But the reality is that we can sit back and wait to be discovered just like that poor man in the flop house of New York had waited for David Isay to discover him to put his story out. And in the past, in the main, that was where we actually waited to be discovered or we waited to uh, or beg permission from the media gatekeepers or, you know, the journalist. But the mantra I would like to propose is I create, I publish, I exist, and that is an incredibly powerful place to actually do because I really believe that when you actually create and then share it with the world, magic happens, and that becomes the core of your existence because then you get feedback in real time on this social web. And that, for me, is one of the most powerful things about creating and publishing and sharing it with the world and that's why the blog for me has been the biggest partner in my self-development and continuous learning that I've ever had in my life.
1: Yeah and it comes across man because that that content in is, is so apparent in your content out and you know I, I've seen you speak as well at events and you're not selling anything that's the beauty like there's nothing worse than going to an event where you have And we all know the big companies that come to those conferences, they're probably a sponsor to uh, actually buy themselves a place on, on the (laughs) speaking stage. And then they go and sell you a product and you go, no, please just tell me something interesting. At least give me some interesting stats that are not publicly available. Let me see behind the curtain, show me something authentic. And then, you know, then they're pitted beside you who are actually telling, telling the audience, how to do things, how to do things better, how to improve themselves. And like you just said there, a manifesto to go and just go and create, exist, publish, do something different, stand up and make yourself counted.
2: Absolutely. And, and it's been some of the biggest lessons of my life the last eight years. Um, and inspired by, you know, I stand on the shoulders of men that came before me, the David Meerman Scots who wrote the New Rules of Marketing and PR, the Tim Ferrisses, the 4-Hour Week. Um, these are guys that inspired me and and when I saw David's book on the power of content to attract an audience, to pull attention to you through great content, I went, wow, this is so cool because I, I was so used to pushing out, to selling, to cold calling. I went, is this really true? It sounds good. Sounds like it could really work and that's where the blog came from. It's like, okay, if I create content, the world's going to show up and guess what? It did and, and it's it's an ongoing challenge to stand out in this noisy world. Um, that's fun part of the journey. It's this continuous learning that you need to be uh, the mindset you need to have to actually continue to grow. Yeah, and that, um, that, but, that's
1: key, man. I mean, that that piece. It's it's that kaizen. It's that continuous development of yourself because that's where the content. Because some people go, oh, this content's going to run. It doesn't. If you keep feeding the machine, the machine will keep providing more and more.
2: Yeah. And that's what a lot of mass media indoctrinated brands still don't get.
1: Yeah, and it's it, it it's it leads me to this next question because the flip side of all this is the demise of traditional media, and some some still don't see this coming. Where you have a new youth, a new young kids, like I've have a, a three year old and seven year old. They watch. They actually watch YouTube. They watch. Content creators who are not actually selling anything. And that is taking them away from the TV, certainly from broadcast TV. Now they have learned how to use the remote. So they don't even go to broadcast TV, they go straight to Netflix because they don't have to endure advertising. And it leaves media in this place where you're going to go, what is your future? Especially if you're actually pushing messages advertorial, you're ruining the very content that got my attention in the first place, the authenticity, the artisanal nature of your journalism, all those things are being diluted because now you're being a slave to metrics like page impressions, unique users, rather than actually building a tribe and giving me access to a community. Like you said, from an influencer, what I'm trying to get from the influencer is access to that community in an authentic way. And newspapers, TV in some aspects, radio, they're breaking this down more and more as well as the diffusion of the advertising space.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a very fascinating, I'm, I'm watching mainstream news sites um, such as one here in Australia and um, I, I'm having a look at the top story that features almost every day on this site. And it's, guess what? It's actually, it's sponsored content. Um, it's a reality show that always seems to happen at the top of their news stream. It's not news. It's actually just a big ass advertorial. And, um, this is a challenge, you know, like and now we've got issues with fake news yeah. and alternate truth, right? <laughs> One of these amazing terms that's been created by, um, I'm not going to mention their name. Yeah. Um, so this is really interesting. And, and, my business is essentially a hybrid it's a niche publishing site that is also an educating site so we are a hybrid publisher educator and that's where we play yeah and that's you know there's a whole range of new business models emerging out of this um, publishing space and content space so and everyone's trying to struggle actually how do I monetize in this digital world that has sustenance and endurance? And that's that's really it's it's a puzzle yeah. for many.
1: Yeah, we had we had Scott Galloway on, on the show last week, and, and he was saying this that you know even Twitter cannot monetize, and Twitter with that amount of audience and you know, in and engagement, yes, there is engagement there, and you're a Twitter master, but Even Twitter cannot monetize because digital media is, is the model was set up wrong in the first place almost. And certain traditional publishers are really, really struggling with this. And you wonder, are they better off being government backed, but kept authentic and kept truth and having a role in society that's to ask the questions that people aren't asking to, to go seeking the truth, almost like investigative journalism in one on one hand and then the other hand to report the truth in an authentic way.
2: I think there's a there's a real real need for that. Um, In other words, I suppose community society funded news channels that actually uh, can be kept to account. Um, The capitalistic news services that we see around the world today are quite often captives to even political parties and and tribes that are all about their own agenda. And I, I think it's really important that we need to maybe reconsider um, what is going to be the future um, for credible news going into the future. That's a big question. Yeah, it's, it's it's a thing
1: we all need. We all need credible news. We all need somewhere we trust to go, that's authentic, that's real. There's no agenda behind that. That comes right back to where we started this conversation, which was the influencer because the influencer is followed because of the authenticity and th- th- that authenticity is actually what what resonates with people it's telling us through it's it's asking the hard questions it's calling out that the Emperor is wearing no clothes when the time needs to be and and it's all those things that really really drive a community and drive a tribe
2: absolutely and uh, we've got to ask some hard questions now and uh, and then we have to provide some uh, even more difficult um, answers to those which actually have to be executed, and um, I, I think some countries are going to struggle with that reality.
1: Yeah, and and how how do you see um, traditional media panning out, Jeff? Yourself, because it's the same challenge everywhere. It's it's not country by country. Every country is suffering from the demise of of traditional media, and I'm going to say newspapers because. The, the digital dimes for the, the analog dollars doesn't stack up. They're left with these legacy people. A lot of them, like we talked about with you, your constant learning, your Kaizen, your, your constant investment in your own mindset, that, that is gone. And, and a lot of these people are not the people who will take the company where it needs to be tomorrow. They live in a world of entitlement rather than enablement. And that, that whole system is broken. And how do you see that panning out in the future?
2: Well, I think the old business models are very close to dead. Some will be able to reinvent out of those ashes. Um, the others will be the new ones that, that create new business models that um, that can scale, that uh, operate uh, efficiently with you know the new free content that's so readily available and then package it up into saleable digital products and that's going to require very lean new business models and as we've seen in the past if we look at the rivers of gold they call the classifieds of the newspapers and so on is that those models have compl- are basically just disappeared and dried up and everyone's struggling to find the new business models the trouble is the old paradigms are, are just so hard um, to transform those sort of companies so there's no I suppose magical formula one size fits all but um, you just got to look be realistic and work out how you can actually run lean efficient digital business models in a whole range of industries including publishing and and news
1: yeah and and then last question for you is this one because somebody asked me this the other day and I actually don't know the answer for this so with with all these YouTube vloggers like so there's millions of them now and they're making millions and it's like how are they making their money because I actually a lot of cases I don't know because yes they're presenting products and I know Unilever and PG and these kind of companies are sponsoring people but oftentimes the people will slate the product and that seems to be part of it and that seems to be part of the authenticity that yes I'll sign this contract with you Unilever but I'm going to actually tell the truth and when I don't like the product I'm actually going to say that to my public as well and the forward-thinking brands seem to accept that that's just part of the part of the process.
2: Yeah, um, and some interesting stats apparently that on Amazon, for example, if you have a few negative reviews, it actually increases sales by twenty percent.
1: <laughs> it increases <laughs> so, if you have negative.
2: It, it, yes. Wow. Uh, I'm not saying totally negative. What I'm yeah. saying is that it's because what happens then is the book seen as as authentic. Ah. If all all you read is glowing reports, and you're going, hang on, this sounds like it's manufactured. So, uh, if you have a few negatives, people can go, "Hey, these guys are actually maybe, you know, calling a spade a spade or whatever." So, you know, that's that's some of the stats I read. It's actually a few years ago I read that that Amazon um, revealed that it increased if you had some negative reviews about a book, it actually increased sales by twenty percent. Wow, because that, that that we've
1: Gazana Houseman, who's an expert in, she's written a book in Amazon reviewing because. She's on the show after you and she, 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 this is exactly what we're talking about because she's revealed that if Amazon hunts you down as being a fake reviewer, they will absolutely, they'll they'll throw you out of the system. And it's very hard to get back in. If they find out if you're an e-commerce company and you're reviewing your own products, they treat it so harshly. Jeff, listen, I, I, I'm wary of your time and the fact that you want those brownies there, hopefully in the post, probably arrived yeah i'm rushing i'm (laughs) rushing to the post
2: box right now breakfast is coming apparently so but on a slow ship a slow ship from china oh sorry dublin
1: all right man well listen it's it's always a pleasure and i appreciate your time as ever
2: okay aiden it's great great to chat mate
1: jeff bullis thanks for joining us So now on the innovation show, we welcome Gizla Houseman, Amazon e-commerce expert, and of course, email expert. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Aidan. I'm happy to be here. So can we talk, before we go into the Amazon world, could we talk about your expertise in how to write an email to unlock sales or unlock a meeting or to to just get to meet somebody?
0: I analyzed 100,000 emails. And uh, even though people say you survived that, I enjoyed it because it gave me an opportunity to really hone down what works and what doesn't work. Like for instance, and and this is now really something very simple. Don't write hi. Don't write hi, Charlie. The second you write hi, Charlie, you're putting yourself into the same drawer, if I may say so, as 80% of other people who also write hi. You look boring. You look like everybody else. What difference does it make if you write hello, or good morning, it's just a few more letters more, but what an impression it makes. Uh, picture Charlie sitting on his computer opening all his emails, and there's, hi Charlie, hi Charlie, hi Charlie, good morning Charlie, how are you? Bam, I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple,
1: really. Yeah, yeah no, it's a, bit, it's a bit of care, isn't it? It's like um, they say when you can detect if somebody's smiling when they're on a call, or if they're happy. Because exactly. they sound different. And and I, I do, I, bl- I believe, absolutely, Gisela, that your your tone comes through on an email. If you do take a little bit of care, it comes across in a big way. And, and you're absolutely the, the, the exemplar of that.
0: Yeah, but beyond that, there is something even more important. If we are really, truly, and honestly honest, I mean, we're really honest to ourselves. It's like being naked in a room and we admit the real truth. Most of us hate between 70 and 90% of emails in our inbox. We just hate them. We hate them the way how they're written, what they say, what they want us to do. We just hate them. So every time you say somebody hates something, of course, there's the option. But what does this person like? The person likes the other 10 to 30% of emails. And as this person starts their day, What email are they going to work on? The one they hate or the one that you like? And there you go. So if anybody doesn't matter who it is, a college student who is seeking an internship or funding or a professional who seeks to advance in the company or make some business tries to be that one guy that's in the 10 to 30% in the like group, your chances of succeeding are so much higher because All of us want to help the ten to thirty percent and somehow get rid of the seventy to ninety percent magically. So that's the recipe for success.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really funny, like because in an age where we're coming to of artificial intelligence, where a lot of kind of rote tasks are being taken over by by um, artificial intelligence you, you need to be able to stand out in that world. And, and we talked, yeah. And we talked in this, this, uh, show before about the, the importance now of emotional intelligence, empathy, creativity, but this is something I have to admit, I overlooked actually, because in a way people kind of go, Oh yeah. Well, my inbox that we looked after by an AI now, but that's not the way to go because you need to stand out. You need to be the signal amidst all the noise.
0: The funny thing is it works with everybody. In March on Pi Day, 3-14-16, I won the uh, Sparky Award for Best Subject Line. And I won by being able to prove that my emails were read by famous people such as Seth Godin and Mark Cuban and replied to within half an hour. When you talk about people like Seth Godin and Mark Cuban, they probably have 95% of emails in the inbox which they hate because it's always the same thing that people want for them are you going to show up are you going to donate are you going to do this are you going to do that so if you just set yourself apart from that 90 95% crowd you have an an awesome chance
1: of succeeding we'll move on from the email now because you're you have a huge expertise in the importance of of good reviews so we live in a world of Recco foundations where marketing in the past would have covered up the fact that a product might be average. And now products need to be better and more user designed than ever before. But that's only half the, the task. Then you have to actually have the public true user generated content, the century, true record recommendations or recommendations online, create reviews that are authentic and unbiased. And that in itself is another skill that you've really honed.
0: Yes. Well, the truth is, uh, if, if we go back just a little bit in time, the first ad newspaper ad was produced in, I think 1880 or something like that. And once that first novelty was worn off, people realized that whoever could buy the biggest ad could push his product, whether it was good or not. I mean, it's that simple, right? And if we just think about that, Mark Twain couldn't find a publisher. Well, um, he wasn't in the position to push this, right? That goes for book reviews. So uh, people did not necessarily trust newspaper ads in that sense. But here it goes. Then comes what Seth Godin calls the TV industrial complex. It's basically us sitting in front of the TV set wanting to relax and somebody who has enough money is going to interrupt our recreational time now with an ad. And of course, we don't like that because we wanted to relax and we didn't want to hear about whatever this person wanted to tell us. So here is um, a, a discrepancy between the need of the buyer and the need of the seller. When the buyer has the need to learn something, they can't see enough advertisements and uh, reviews and information but when they don't want to see it then they don't want to see it at all and this is where the online review comes in and i personally think that steve bezos is a genius that he invented it because let's say i want to buy a new lawnmower and it is 11 o'clock at evening at night nobody's gonna show me a commercial for a lawnmower right now right
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> but I can go online and read everything I ever wanted to know about lawnmowers. Beyond that, I can pick who I'm going to believe. I don't need to believe some master gardener who maybe gets a kickback for recommending a certain lawnmower. I can believe Joe Smith from around the corner who said, I bought this and this works and my lawn is 50 by 60 feet and I can mow it in 15 minutes or whatever, right? So we want to have the freedom to A, find out about products whenever we want to find out. And on top of it, we want to have the freedom of believing who we want to believe, the fact that a product has a bad review doesn't necessarily create a problem if the buyer decides that the reviewer is horrible or impossible, right? We want to pick whoever we want to believe. So that means that people who want to sell their products need reviews. They need to as many reviews as possible because the more they have, The higher the chance is that the buyer finds the person who they want to believe. Somebody once said, if a person goes into a car shop, 70% of them want to buy a car in that particular lot. If they walk off, it's the seller's fault. It's the same with us going online. Let's say I heard about a particular lawnmower. I want to buy this lawnmower. It's 50 reviews. Three are bad reviews. And twenty five are excellent reviews. I want to believe these excellent reviews because I've already made up my mind that I want that review, that long more, Right. So we find confirmation. So today, having reviews, having as many reviews as possible, assures that our buyers will buy. It. This influences not only the online shopping. This influences even the shopping in brick and mortar stores. Let's say. The college student is taking out his girlfriend. They hit the store. She wants to have a certain dress or some jewelry or what have you. While she's still looking, he's already scanning reviews on his smartphone. Shopping at a brick-and-mortar store is not excluded from that. You have now tendencies, for instance, Home Depot has come up with a great system. When you stand in front of their shelves and you're looking at any kind of product, they have a code number there. You go in your smartphone, you type that code number, automatically pulls up the reviews that this product has received from the Home Depot site. This is, so to speak, a real-life experience for the Amazon review because the customer looks at the product, looks at the reviews, and then can put the thing into a shopping cart, just like the customer would do with Amazon.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because we've seen, uh, you know, uh, Walmart invest uh, in any uh, in Taylor recently for 3 billion in the, U- in the U S but also we've seen Amazon open, uh, real stores. So retail stores, and it just shows the importance of both worlds. So the, the, the virtual e-commerce world and the bricks and mortar store being together. And, and it's almost like, what we have seen in the past is the the retail stores, the bricks and mortar stores, have struggled to become technology companies. While Bezos, the genius that he is, created Amazon as a as a technology play, and then is now g- going. It's time for me now to create an experience, an experiential, exp- well for people. I
0: mean, I'll bring an example from my personal life. Okay, my my mother. Uh, when my mother had her first two children, her mother-in-law, my father's mother, gave her Dr. Spock's book. And Dr. Spock was the leading kid, uh, children's pediatrician at the time. And he was always like, Dr. Spock, Dr. Spock. Well, my mother happens to hate Dr. Spock. <laughs> and one of the reasons is because my her mother-in-law always asked if my mother did things the way how Dr. Spock suggested we humans do not want to be dictated who we want to believe we don't want to be dictated who is the expert who tells us what to do we want to make our own decision but of course we need confirmation that we're doing the right thing and that's where the online review comes in
1: absolutely and, and you you gave me some some uh, tips that i had stuff i had never thought about so if my product so so say i'm I'm based now in ireland our our local uh, mm-hmm. amazon is amazon.co.uk so when i when i go and i go okay i need to send this out to some people to review or if that's how it works i'm not sure or else i, I even better i get authentic very good reviews but i i also then uh, then the next thing my product goes international i have to think about all the other all the other uh, worlds as well all the other parts of uh, amazon so I, I need to think of the dot com etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, that totally changes the game doesn't it people
0: will get bad reviews for their products somebody who didn't like it somebody who couldn't get it to work or anything of that nature the best way to counter a negative review is to get good ones beforehand because if you have 10 good reviews and one person smacks a bad one in, well, then obviously this was the person who didn't understand it or <laughs> the lone person who didn't like it. So in other words, getting starter reviews eliminates all of these problems. Now, when we're looking at starter reviews, who is going to give them to us? Experts, people who are interested, and there are, of course, the Amazon top reviewers. An Amazon top reviewer will write a good review. He won't just write liked it or great product or stuff like that. He will go into some detail. So these people need to be contacted. Now you live in Ireland and you um, uh, are in the amazon.co.uk system. Yes. So if anybody, a customer, an acquaintance, or a top reviewer reviews on amazon.co.uk. That's all the people who see it. People who go to amazon.co.uk. And in my book, I analyzed this actually for Panasonic. Panasonic has a, a nose hair trimmer that sells like crazy in Japan. Like crazy. <laughs> this product has over 1500 reviews. Beats me. What 1,500 people have to say about a nose hair trimmer, but I swear it's the truth. So these reviews can only be seen by Japanese people. You look at the same product in the United States and it has one review. And if you in the UK look at this product, that is the only review that you see. One review from the US. If you don't research, you have no idea that this is the most popular nose hair trimmer. In Japan, yeah. there is. I
1: know and a few, obviously I know, a
0: good product.
1: I know a few people who could do with that, Kizilla. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's just a funny example, and it's particularly interesting because it's Japanese. So why does Amazon not show these Japanese reviews to anybody else? Because nobody can read them. If we were talking a French product, let's say some French wine, well, not too many people speak French and can read a review uh about wine because it asks a special vocabulary
1: so th- there's professional reviewers that's that's what they get and who are they who are they paid by so they're
0: not paid by anybody
1: so they're just they're just absolutely driven by this it's almost like being a blogger that's just loves yes. doing this but,
0: well they get the product for free yeah they have to be treated with respect and they have to be asked what they want and there are some reviewers who have special interests. Like, for instance, in the United States, we have a reviewer that reviews every single uh, pet product there is. It it doesn't matter whether it's a dog ball, dog food, dog whatever. She reviews it. And her agenda is that she reviews the product. She can't sell them. That's what Amazon's rules say. You can't sell what you get. And then she donates the pet product to a local shelter. so that's her incentive that she does it and people do it for various things you have like technical experts who are in videotaping for instance if they would buy all the products it would run very costly it could be a costly endeavor so they're top reviewers they get all the new stuff but of course the company who sends them the product gets now the number one expert to talk about this and that's a good thing for them yeah So it's if you want a working side-by-side, but getting back to the Japanese, Amazon, of course, is aware of this problem. So what do they do? They show the reviews from the U.S. site to everybody because 80% of our customers speak English on a working level. It may be their second language, but they understand it. Yes. So if you are now uh, a producer of any goods in the U.K., Yes, you should try to get your reviews in the UK. But if you get reviews in the United States, they will be shown below the UK reviews on all websites from Japan to Brazil. So let's say, for instance, you want, you have your product established in the United States, uh, in the United Kingdom. You get, let's say, 50 reviews. You may be selling this product. You want to expand the product and also sell it in Germany and in France, which is very close. I mean, it's not too far of a shipping distance, right? Rather than going to the German and French reviewers, you contact American reviewers and send them the product. And if they review the product on Amazon.com, the same review that you get from that U.S. reviewer will be shown in the U.K., in your home country. In France and in Germany, one swept with the fly catches three flies. And of course, if in the future, you expand to Japan, that same review will also be shown in Japan.
1: It's like, I remember when Facebook first started, people started setting up kind of private pages rather than business pages, etc. You know, th- there was a lot of wasted effort. And what you're doing is, is teaching people hey, like, cause I, when I, when I kind of, when I looking at your expertise. They're very much interlinked i mean the first thing is to contact the reviewer which is exactly. the essential email the way the email's written this kind of no jackass rule that like i'm actually a, a nice person uh this is my product and how to actually even communicate that in a really nice way and then the follow-up review and it's 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 really nicely interlinked and i can totally see why you you have these two Um, really nice synergy, the synergy between these two skills. It totally makes sense.
0: Well, it makes also sense of a lot of sense for authors. Uh, There are a lot of very active British authors. They should actually not try to find reviewers in the UK. They should try to find reviewers in the United States because they help them in the entire English speaking world, which would then be Canada, the UK, the US and Australia. Yeah. So that's the deal. The thing is only when you contact these reviewers, and I have a lot of experience with that, most people write the wrong stuff. Like, for instance, they will write, I found your name on the list of Amazon top reviewers. And my response is always that I want to say, get out of here. Don't you think that I know that I'm there? When you really contact these reviewers, these are people that don't tolerate any nonsense. Don't talk about yourself. Don't talk about them. Talk about your product. This is the best dog food dispenser or a uh, keyboard or what have you. That's the only thing the reviewer cares about. The reviewer doesn't want to date you. The reviewer doesn't want to <laughs> visit you. does not want to hear how you've learned about him. All he wants to know is this is a product that's interesting to me. And so that's what uh, professionals need to address.
1: It absolutely makes sense, Gisela. And the title of the book is?
0: All my books are naked. And there is a reason for that. I wanted to express, I'm not writing any blah, blah. I'm giving you what you need. I know you don't have time because you actually just want to learn what to do or want to get the inside scoop. So I'm going to deliver this naked. Somebody has once, friendly say, has once said about me, Gisela doesn't use any adverbs or ad adjectives. She gets to the point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how I write. So I have my website that shows all my work is giselahaussman.com. When you work your way through the list of reviewers, and my book describes how to find these, uh, find people who really want to review the kind of product that you have. Like I get review requests for children's clothes. My children are 23 and 24. They wouldn't wear what I buy. Find the right person. It doesn't matter whether that particular reviewer is ranked that high or not. Find a person who likes what you produce. Then put all your effort into getting this person to say yes. Write a tailored email. It focuses on your product, explain why the reviewer wants to see this. Very often, I see this with authors. They write me things like, I saw that you, wrote, that you read the book XYZ. And so I'm thinking, you're going to want to read my book too because it's similar. Heck no, I already read one book. I don't want to read a similar book. Tell me what's new about your book that I haven't read yet. Yeah. And the same thing applies for products too. There are a hundred different dog leashes and what have you. What is What can yours do that I haven't seen? Because as soon as people try to focus on that thought, they're going to produce an email that will entice the reviewer to review the product. And that's what counts. And then there is another thing that I want to say. Once your product has review, brag, brag, say my product has 150 reviews on Amazon. Just say it, uh, because what happens is people will go to Amazon and look. We're naturally curious, right? So as soon as somebody says I have 150 reviews on Amazon, they go there and look. Well, guess what? They right arrived at the spot where they can click it, where they can buy with one click.
1: Yeah. And so- it it's it's brilliant and it's it's brilliant advice and you know what like I, as I said to you and it was the reason I reached out was it's something that I hadn't, you know, I just overlooked, and it's so important. And it, you know, for people to get in early, it's 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 a shame. I always just think I hate to see wastage when somebody's trying, and they just overlook something so important as aid the communication via the email, and then the the ever increasingly important element of the recommendation on the on the different e-commerce platforms.
0: If you use Amazon and all its marketing features that Amazon offers you, you will boost your sales. And not only at Amazon, but also everywhere else. Because, I mean, let's say you are in charge of your own, uh, so, uh, that you supply your vendors. But for heaven's sakes, print the sign and say, we've got 50, 150 reviews on Amazon and place it next to the product. Yeah. So here is the guy visiting the store. He sees the sign. He's gonna look up the reviews on Amazon, and he's gonna buy it. I mean, it's that simple.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's and it is. And um, we're seeing this more and more, where the two worlds are co- colliding and becoming the same world, where it's it's no longer digital. And uh, you know, I see it a lot with strategies. People so are gonna go, oh, "What's my digital strategy?" And you go, "No, it's what's your strategy." Because digital should be intertwined into that strategy. There's no more, there's no such thing anymore of separating them both.
0: Let me just add one thought. I think essentially is that people stop thinking of Amazon as their enemy and think, oh my God, you know, they're taking all my business or they're doing this or that and that. Amazon ain't gonna go away. It doesn't matter what we do, they will not go away. So the smart idea is to think. How can I use this Amazon that's already here for my purposes?
1: Yeah, we, we call it, actually, I talked the same about uh, publishing and Facebook and the different platforms because people go, oh, Facebook is my enemy. And you kind of go, it's actually your frenemy. <laughs> so it's your friend and your enemy because it enables you to reach your audience. And uh, we have to embrace the frenemy because they have done a great job of creating a platform and we need that platform.
0: Exactly.
1: Gizla, it's been a pleasure and thank you for, for, uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. And people can find you on your website um, and on LinkedIn. And you are an Amazon e-commerce expert and an email evangelist. And thank you very, very much.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So now on the innovation show, we welcome Lisa Marie Clinton, founder of avail. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Ed, and thanks for having me on.
1: It's great to have you on. I've, I've been reading about your great product, but more importantly, the story behind the product. And rather than me give an intro to you, it'd be great just to hear about the product and how you came to discover it.
3: Well, Avail, it's an e-learning platform that promotes learning and independence for children and adults with an intellectual or developmental disability. So I suppose um, if we look at the people that I would work with, the majority of individuals with disabilities may require help in completing daily activities. This would involve parents prompting someone to complete a task independently and this is one-to-one prompts so then I kind of questioned how can we use technology now to provide similar prompts that you know, I myself as a tutor and parents and educators and I suppose staff as well then could offer and I suppose that's where the whole thing started and at the time I was completing my master's and I was working with a beautiful wee boy called Liam and he really kind of pushed me to get this started, he really kind of opened my eyes to see what was possible and how our young people now are really engaging with technology.
1: How did Liam prompt that? Was is his interest in devices? Was he messing with the phone?
3: When we look at Applied Behaviour Analysis, I was helping Lean teaching him independent skills and breaking a task down into a task analysis format then, and breaking it down into simple, easy to follow steps. And this would involve creating pictures to aid understanding, Liam is non-verbal, but he was a very, very good visual learner. So I was taking pictures, I was laminating, I was putting Velcro on them, and all of this was quite cumbersome and, and, you know, I spent a lot of time doing this. So one evening when I was with Liam, I was preparing for his materials and his next, next activities and I just looked at him engaging with his iPad and his iPad was his biggest reinforcer and I could not compete up against this iPad. Um, so then I just questioned, what am I doing? I'm you know, sitting here with pictures and, and materials and cards, etc. Where he's sitting with an iPad, fully engaged with it, has a positive association with it, and you can take a picture and videos and audio within a number of seconds.
1: So that, so that was the so, aha moment then?
3: that was it, I said things need to change, we need to you know, move on with the times and I think people with disabilities are often overlooked um, in the area of technology where actually they should be the first in line because this technology can really make life changing, you know, impact so at that stage thankfully I was conducting my dissertation so now I knew what I wanted to focus on um, and I went off on my merry way now with was, was kind of Liam's idea and and this moment sticking in my head. And started researching the use of videos, which is video modeling, pictorial prompts, audio prompts, and how can we create this using using technology? And how can we create an evidence-based program? Because you know, from my background, I, I love research as well. And and if you're implementing a program, you want it to be research-driven. But unfortunately, the wee boy that that started me on my journey then passed away before he actually got to to see avail which is, is heartbreaking for his, his family. And, and for me, that had all these hopes and aspirations of, of what he was going to achieve with a I, I could picture him then making snacks or using it for his schedule or when he got older, then for independent living skills.
1: It's lovely, Lisa Marie, that he's in the product and the product is is his legacy, essentially, and that through him, so many people will overcome and get better and have a better life as a result. That That must be... I know it's never going to be solace, but it, it, it's its a beautiful respect to Liam that that's in the product.
3: It is. And, you know, I remember being with Liam kind of the week before he passed away and he's, he's so active and, you know, never let fear you know, get him down. If there was a somewhere to climb, then he'd be the first stop then um, and just really enjoyed life. So I said, although my background was not in tech and this was all new to me, I said, you know what? I'm going to be like you. I'm going to not let fear get me, you know, hold me back and you are going to be remembered for all the achievements that all the other kids like you and adults, because he was going to be an adult with autism then as well, Um that, you know, they're going to achieve all this and thanks to, thanks to him.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, they often say about entrepreneurs that it, this drive comes from a deeper place and you have that yeah. now in abundance. You have that deeper place. You have Liam's uh, additional desire in you to, to make this achieve. So it's great to see it really take off. It's one of the reasons I reached out. I saw, I saw it mentioned several times. My wife mentioned to me, she mentioned, you've got to get in touch with this uh, lady oh. because... Got to get the message out there of it. So, avail, avail has a meaning as well. A V A I L. What's behind that?
3: That was actually I was stuck for time. I was doing a program, and um, my mentor said, "You need, you need a name." And I said, "Okay, (laughs) well, (laughs) what? How do do I come up with a name?" Um, So, I suppose we, myself, and my friends, and a lot of my friends working in the area of social care and teachers, and within the kind of care and environment. So they were new. They know what I do, and they know kind of what where my passion lies. So we sat around the table, and I locked the doors, and I said, "We're not leaving this house until we come up with a name." So we kind of, you know, looked at different wards of what we wanted the to stand for. And it was independence. It was providing opportunities. It was visual technology. You know, raising expectations. So what we came up with at the end, then, of a long night. Was assisted visuals an independent living, and that stands for a veil. Yeah. So I think it, it stands for a mission and what we want to achieve going forward.
1: Yeah, and it's a nice constant reminder of, of what it does for both you and for the public. But you mentioned as well, because I, I was under the impression it was solely for autism, but you can see how its applications can be put to many, many different uses.
3: Um, I suppose my background then is uh, I worked as an ABA tutor for several years. So, you know, I got the kind of research and um, strategies to put in place then kind of mostly then for people with autism, but these strategies can be used for other disabilities, someone with maybe Down syndrome, someone with learning difficulties or someone with a cognitive related, you know, challenges, then you might need support in just completing simple day to day tasks.
1: And Lisa Marie, how long have you been on this road?
3: Just, I suppose, just over two years, um, you know, from my master's and doing the research. Then I kind of really just stemmed from there. After that, I approached the local enterprise office. At this time, I had to go back to work, Um, so I was working full time while still kind of Plodding along, trying to do a bit by bit as I could, and getting and gaining as much information as I could around the tech world and developing a program and, and business plans, etc. Um, and then come after that year at work, then um, I needed to take time off, so I applied for another career break. So right now I'm working, you know, full time, and thank God it's been a long road, a long road of, of you know mistakes and learning and achievements. Um, but we're just delighted to be at this stage now that we're fully launched. We have users using our system and we have children and adults really achieving things that they never thought would be possible.
1: So, Lisa Marie, then what kind of skills can you can you pick up from the app?
3: Okay, well, I suppose Avail, what we want to achieve is a really personalised support. So everyone is, is so different in their teaching skills and their goals that they want to achieve so avail is matched by this then it is personalized to the person's environment their goals and their ability some of our individuals are using it to um for dressing skills for hygiene for communication skills um, for independent living skills and an employment um as well and i suppose the employment one is a big one because we have such low employment rates here in ireland and and beyond and thankfully the Department of Social Protection has recognised Avail as an innovative approach in reducing the reliance on job and on the job coach, but also then you know allowing someone to be more productive and independent in employment. So they have grant funded Avail under their workplace adaptation grant, which is fantastic and it shows kind of innovative thinking from the government that they recognize the use of software and smart devices and an e-learning system such like Avail and the impact it can have.
1: So so you've got funding, that's keeping you going, that's keeping the lights on essentially, but if you were looking to scale this globally, are you looking for funding from other funders, private philanthropy, etc.?
3: We would be interested in, in talking to anyone who may be interested in this area and can help us to bring Avail global into different Services and special needs schools and you know day services who are helping people with disabilities.
1: For people who may be interested in that, may be interested in getting in touch. How can they get in touch with you, Lisa Marie?
3: Yes, sure. Our website is www.availsupport.ie, and my personal email address is lisamarie@availsupport.ie. We're also on Twitter and Facebook.
1: Brilliant. Well, it's it's a phenomenal story and. You know, it's a credit to you and to Leem and to Leem's family for all getting behind it. And, and to you for having the vision to see that this is a way to improve lives all over the globe. So I'm sure people will be in touch. Lisa Marie Clinton, thanks very much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having us on, Aidan. Thank you.